Welcome to Xeno Podcast, where we talk to lots of awesome professors. Today, we have Dr. Plicka, and no offense, more importantly, Dr. Shoemaker. <laughs> no, it's just we've had Dr. Plicka on before. He knows we're on. How you guys doing? We're doing well, and uh, I feel I cannot go anywhere in this town without Professor Plicka by my side, and I think everyone is starting to to notice that. Yep, yeah. Someone said to me the other day, um, hey, I saw you walking with somebody the other day. I could tell that you guys are really good friends. You guys are best friends, just right? Just from, like, yeah, I said, just from looking at us? He's like, yeah, just from looking at you. So I don't know. I, this guy's got a vibe. We yeah. got a vibe. Do you it's have a, a gang name? Like We oh. do. We're the Mate Gang. Guyaki. The Guyake Mate Gang. Please tell me more. Uh, I'm holding one in my hand right now. Uh, I, I'll continue to sip it throughout this podcast. It's the Enlightenment flavor, my favorite. But it packs a wallop of euphoric energy just every day. I, I drink it every day. In fact, Ryan's the one that got me into it. So We're totally not sponsored by them. But if we could be, we would. I'd do anything. It's become, <laughs> yeah, anything. a ceremony of, of sorts. That's We're we... trying to brew it on our own. We hint, just hint. can't figure yeah. out the uh, that delicious recipe. So is it like juice or like tea? tea? Mate is a traditional Argentine yeah. drink. Oh, yeah. do they yeah. usually make it in those in little like bowls with the, the, gourd, the straw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. straw things. Straw. Yeah, you see those return missionaries coming back from Argentina. There. Yes. In fact, my my favorite um, uh, Kalakai cover of all time featured a recently returned sister missionary holding a little bag of mate mm-hmm. in the, just like in the bottom of a plastic baggie, some green herbs, and holding like a gourd, which from a distance looks weirdly <laughs> like a drug paraphernalia. <laughs> Apparently nobody caught that. Thumbs up. Or they did. No, they're funny. like, it's fine. It's mate. Maybe that's what they were going for. It's like clickbait, but like to I get them to open the magazine. It worked for me. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. It's media. Yeah. One of my roommates used to have a mate gourd but i guess that makes sense now what it is i was like do you do drugs bro <laughs> i'm just kidding it's a natural drug man. i just was like it's a I'm natural not gonna ask him about it it's just there yeah because i hear yeah. down there like it's this communal thing where they're passing it around <laughs> that's no that's too invested for me we're, we're not going to go that far but we will drink it from this beautiful can guayaki and it does have, no, it has, there is something euphoric about it. Like, it's almost a joke between my wife and me now because I will drink one of those and just want to send her, like, a text expressing my love. And then she'll respond and say, did you just have a mate? <laughs> yes. Mate. Saving marriages. So is it, like, drink. flavored mate? Because I've yes. had, like, the plain stuff. It's like, if okay. If I didn't have a cold sore, I'd tell you to take a sip of this. But it is delicious. So this is the mint. It's and not, I think okay. second to the mint, at least my favorite, is the berry. I concur. Revel berry. And then uh, there's orange and blueberry. Definitely in and that the order. And the lemon. I, I, the lemon's my least favorite. Last place. But, mm. but still good. But, you know, yeah. oh, I will, yes. Still always. Worth it. It, you still get that, that euphoria. Hmm. What about, like... Mate versus root beer float. Are you kidding? I am <laughs> what has a root beer float ever done for me? <laughs> oh. So uh, <laughs> okay, I will take so the mate. mate. Yeah. Yes, every just, time. Every every time. Ten out of wow. ten. Yeah. All right. Well, it's enlightening to me because I have Same. never heard of it. I mean, Same. before. Go to Foodland. I mean, it's about uh, how much? Uh, 
It's a good three bucks. I three mean, bucks. a little over three bucks, actually. You can get wow. them on sale two for five sometimes. Yikes. It's not cheap, which is why we're trying That's to brew our own. <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> trying to get sponsored. Yeah. That's... But the, I think the, uh, the relaxation, the, the centering effect that it has might be worth it. In fact, I was, I was going to bring some today. I forgot. Oh, but we will, that's okay. I think, to say thank you for, for this experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's, you know, I'll, I'll drop one by your, your place. You guys awesome. are worth it. Yeah, we'll try it out. We'll try to get sponsored by them. Maybe you guys could just be co-hosts on the show just for the mate, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Do the live plug. audience. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have a little advertisement in the middle. Well, we exactly. should just do a podcast. The mate men. About mate. I think so. so. And just other... clear, we're not sponsored by them. Right. <laughs> but yeah. we would be. But we could yeah. be. No, absolutely not. No we money can. has taken, no money has changed hands. Yeah. This is all passion that's coming out here. While we're here, let's just all uh, do some free advertising for things that we like. I really <laughs> like Chex Mix. I oh. really support their product. Mm. My favorite is the Bold and Spicy or whatever it's called. They are really good. Really good. Yeah. I get on board with that, yeah. 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 Well, okay, here's another product I love, and I say this not, not joking at all. The Squatty Potty. Really? I kid you not. People I, swear by it. Because you have one, right, Joe? You, I, you, we have one, yeah. We have to share it. So what's that? So the squatty potty is remind me. It is a, a small stool that uh, just kind of uh, just fits right under your toilet, and when you need to use the bathroom, in number two, you just pull it out and you you in, you put your feet up on it, and it puts you in a squatting position, mm. which anatomically puts less thing? strain on your body. I don't want to go into the details. There's a commercial about a the unicorn in it that's. I can't it's believe you beautiful. haven't seen the commercial. Yeah, I've probably seen it. I just I think it's a company. My brain's a whirl of finals and papers. Oh, well. I will I mean, uh, with that mate. You. I will bring over the <laughs> Just total zen. Yeah. yeah, but only if you. I, you have to promise me that you will use the two products together. Okay. At the same moment, and <laughs> I, same you, it will be so euphoric. I can commit to that. The word yeah, of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean euphoria. That's all we're trying to bring here through the Xeno podcast is euphoria into the ears. That's people true. deserve the minds. Yeah, people deserve a, to feel good in this this day and age, this time of our lives, this particular moment, finals week. Yeah. 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 They need to hear this. And it's not just self-medicating, I think. No. It's the mate is yeah. more than that. And the squatty potty. Wow. I was actually wondering about uh, finals week in terms of how it affects professors. Is it the same amount of craziness like change between like regular school time and then finals week is it the same i don't know change to be perfectly honest no actually <laughs> finals week is so easy as a professor <laughs> so i'm sorry Everybody's what the secret out there after finals week is not because then you're grading but yeah yeah because there's the i there's the that kind of makes sense that yeah. moment like the last day of class you know and then there's that space mm-hmm. You know, where at least my students are turning in their portfolios of their creative work Friday. So I just have this cushion, this three or four days, and nice. then Cruising. and then yes, and then it will it will become stressful. But I know, I know you two are suffering right now. I know those. I remember those that finals week. That's if only yeah. I had mate. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know about mate. Left. I'm bringing it over. <laughs> two days. Yeah. Not well, too much suffering though. Yeah. Not. This semester, anyway. This moment is not suffering. Yeah, I this feel is like good. this is good a times. good break yeah. between study sessions. So, yeah. 
So it's been a, a good semester for both of you and a lot of learning and growing, you, you feel? Yeah, it's been pretty crazy, though, but yeah. it's good. Good crazy. I feel like the school really challenged us with, like, the eight weeks they gave us. And then no reading days. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a challenge, but it's good. That is challenging. And that was, not, that was as a professor, that was very challenging, You're actually. Like, fitting, yeah, fitting a class into those eight weeks and it feeling like you're still working as usually spring summer is a little bit of a step down like the way that most universities do it mm-hmm. most professors aren't even contracted to teach unless they want to um and then uh but here we're trying to turn it into a full term where everyone takes three or four classes and uh you know professors are still teaching a full load so it's pretty intense and everyone's burned out yeah, I've noticed yeah. that it's like in the past years, it's been a lot chiller in spring. And a lot of the times people are like, oh, don't even like worry about coming to class every once in a while. They just are like, oh, I'm going to be on vacation with my family and stuff. But yeah, the semester has been intense. intense. So yeah. well, and then when I came five years ago, wasn't it a seven week? It was semester. Yeah, it was only impo- seven. Counting oh. finals week or yeah, not but that's a, that's a normal like it's that's half a semester and that's that's normally what a term is yeah and people take one or two classes and so it's intense but you can hand but, but you know yeah. but we're saying oh nine weeks you know you can take a full you can take three or four classes those yeah. extra two weeks it just it just the math just doesn't add up it we're doesn't. really trying to squeeze we were trying, we're really to, trying to stuff over stuff uh you know it's like a stuff sack for a sleeping bag we're really stuffing it in there yeah and it's all because of our uh it's a be as a anyways it's a long story <laughs> Education. Well, and in my yeah, my 218, the intro to creative writing. Sorry, students, we're we're not doing drama. <laughs> I'm throwing drama out. Uh, we we don't yeah. have time for it. Yeah. But even with the extra class time during the week, there's you still have to drop stuff. There's just not yeah. enough space to fit it all in. So. Yeah, and like the speaking of drama, they did the play festival. That's pretty intense. Like, so they had to insane. direct and uh, like rehearse. Of six plays or whatever yeah. six one acts and i think they were told they were like you can only have one rehearsal a week like you can only require your actors to show up one time a week except for show week so yeah. <laughs> they got it together in like four hours total which <laughs> did, is did you two go cool. did you see the yeah yeah, yeah. saw both the nights it was, it was actually good was i good. was like wow yeah. considering everything yeah even fun. though what there were some people who were offended was that yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's common. Do knowledge. we need to talk yeah. about that? Yes. <laughs> that was. Uh, you can totally. Talk there's about always that. somebody that's offended, though. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's. Where do just these complaints which, arise from? Like, where do they um, go to? I don't Complaining wanna, to. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say any names. I don't want to badmouth anybody, <laughs> but uh, I think it often stems from our wonderful senior missionaries who mm. come here. Yeah. Yep. And they just have different expectations of what takes place at a university, um, and of course there are always there. You know there are there is a line, and uh, you know there are moments where. Where you get up, you kind of come up to that line, and it's it can be done in a controlled environment here, which is yeah. the advantage of being here. But it's still like you can't just. Anyways, people complained about arsenic and old lace really? a couple of years ago, so that just goes to show it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just because people were what? murdering people. I don't even know. That probably just, wasn't the complaint, which is more bothersome something to do with it's usually not violence people people don't care about violence anything slightly sexualized (laughs) though yeah this missionary couple loved quentin tarantino but uh, (laughs) dare anyone uh someone made a your mama joke in in one of the plays i think oh yeah yeah. oh and some beer bottles i don't know if that was on the list but there were some yeah 
to be fair, I, wrote, I mean, I've been roasted after saying a Yo Mama joke, because, uh, so this is going to take a weird turn, but I was in welding class, and this guy, like, stuck his torch in my torch, which makes the weld blow up, so he, like, ruined my assignment, basically, and I was like, bro, and I was, like, a kid, so I was like, so I said something about, like, his mom, and he was just like, dude, and he, like, walked away all sad, and I was like, that was uncharacteristically, <laughs> like, weird for, like, a, you know, guy, and then this, uh, so the guy came over and was like, hey, by the way, like his mom like just died. And I was like, no! So <laughs> I have not told you a mama joke since. I was like, oh. So maybe dangerous. it was something like that. Yeah. Well, are you sure? Mother. Did you check it though? Because we used to play a joke where it was, go ask so-and-so how many push-ups his dad can do. And you'd, how many push-ups can your dad do? And the, the guy would say, you're a jerk. My, my dad doesn't have any arms. Oh. So I don't, I mean. Oh, it was real. It was, it was real. <laughs> oh, it was man. confirmed, yeah. Oh, and it was wow. like a concerned friend. He was like, hey, by the way, like, just so you know oh, why that was so weird. And I was like, wow. oh. It's no excuse to stick your torch in somebody else's torch, yeah, though. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. Have to it's play dangerous. That it was actually really funny, though. Like, I was like, bro, then your mom. And it was, like, so benign. And then it was not benign, so. I don't think statistically that will ever happen to you again, so you okay. could yeah. probably. But still, it's, it's, I was, yo, mama jokes have been ruined for me. I can't. I just feel <laughs> paranoia whenever I. I'm about to be like, yeah. yeah, you know. Well, they are disrespectful to moms, yeah. which I am <laughs> against. In, yeah. Yes. I feel kind of like, should I introduce Ryan or should somebody yeah. introduce? <laughs> oh, you guys. Yeah, sorry. I mean, we, we can we keep on, on like this. Tangent. This is fantastic. There's I'm, so many tea things. The colloquial, your mom. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let me Go just, I, I mean, yeah. just even, you know, you guys could do it too, but I'll just, <laughs> I'm just the sidekick here. I'm yeah. trying to be more like Higgins on How the Jimmy Fallon show. What's that? I was like, I'll introduce Carly. Carly will introduce you, and then you'll introduce. Sounds good. All right. So, hi, I'm Jackson. This is Carly Stone, my co-host. We're here all the time, so you know our voices. Yep, we're here. We're just undergrads. Um, And then Dr. Plicka is also with us. He's a PhD in creative writing. He teaches lots of creative writing here. Among other things. Yeah, Yeah. you do it all. Yeah, I'm a, a lowly associate professor just got my associateship. Um, and I'm here today with our very special guest, Dr. Ryan Shoemaker, um, who's- Who makes shoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Many years ago. You know, it's interesting. A couple people have been really, like heard that name and been like, what, Shoemaker? Like, and we're like, oh, you know Shoemakers? They're like, no, it's just a really cool name. Like, like, <laughs> Tell that to my 10 year old daughter yeah. who oh. hates it. And, and I remember that. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably err on the side of calling him Ryan because this is going to sound really sappy to you guys, but the man is my best friend. I mean, it's really, it's Doesn't weird for an adult happy. to say that, right? No. Do, do adults have those? Um, but we met each other 20 years ago in Jerusalem at the BYU Jerusalem Center and um, just kind of ended up following the same path in life. Uh, Ryan actually kind of steered me into the English major. I was doing journalism and uh, we both graduated, came back and did our MAs at BYU together in creative writing. Um, went out again. I went to Ohio University. He went to USC. But we both got the same degree, PhD in literature and creative writing, emphasis in fiction. <clears throat> and um, Ryan came here five years ago, right after his degree, or as he was finishing up, and taught for us. And then it was just wonderful to be able to invite him back again to be here to teach. You know, because I'm we're a small school. We're not an arts university. And so I'm the only one teaching most of the creative writing classes, so it's nice to mix it up. We need, yeah, we need some other voices, some other style. I mean, I feel bad for you guys who took 
well, basically good. all five classes from me and yeah. probably heard the same things and stories over and over again. Um, so it's why we're inviting people like Dr. Shoemaker in to be our, we're calling it a writer in residence now. That's we're cool. trying to kind of build this up as a, maybe a thing, a, a competitive position that people apply for and come and teach here for a term. Um, so he's here this spring, obviously we're approaching the end and he just published a book, which I hope we're going to talk about a little bit today called Beyond the Lights. Uh huh. Not to be confused with the movie Beyond <laughs> yeah, the Lights. That's right. Um, published in April, right? April. April. Yeah. Wow. By No Record Press, um, and, which is quite an achievement. I mean, this is ten years of work for him, um, publishing stories in some great literary journals and then collecting them here. And so I'm, I'm insanely happy for him and proud of him. And uh, he he's read a little bit of his work on campus. So I don't think you guys were there though. But you, but oh, you were. That's right. We're like, okay. Sorry, yeah, I was working. I know, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but anyways, maybe we'll talk a little bit about it today. So and yeah, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to talk about as far as that process? Uh, you know, his his experience with teaching. He's got an interesting uh, interesting family situation. He's he's kind of a modern man. Um, so, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I'll mean? let him. You, well, I don't. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking too much. I'll just step back now. That was perfect. Ladies right. and gentlemen. I'll tell Dr. you what the modern man is. Uh, <laughs> so yes, I. My wife uh, works for Disney Animation. She's their director of finance, so she has a fantastic job, and she's talented and uh, very very hardworking. So when I finished my degree, um, you know, I'm been applying for for jobs, and you know, had a few offers, but nothing has quite come along. I think to kind of match what she's doing. So I have, I guess you could say for the last three years, been a stay-at-home dad, the modern awesome. man. So hanging out with moms in parks with a mate <laughs> in my hand, which I think they that's my identity among them. The man with that yellow, yellow can. can in his, <laughs> the in his hand. Man. Um, you know, so doing that and, uh, you know, it's been it's been fantastic to uh, to be home when I was getting my degree, um, you know, both my kids were in uh, daycare full time and, you know, kind of almost felt a, a certain guilt over that. So kind of made the promise to myself when I finished my degree, if I you know, didn't have another job, I would stay at home. So yeah, I've been at home with my little daughter and then picking up my, my older kids. And, uh, and, and the time has not been squandered. I think the time, time is never squandered uh, for a writer when there's... Uh, maybe a new perspective to see in life and new people to meet. So that's what I've been doing. And I have been, I think, able to parlay that experience as a stay-at-home dad with, uh, in my writing and uh, in, in my collection, you'll see a, a, a couple stories there about stay-at-home dads. And, you know, maybe a little, uh, you know, very, very honest uh, kind of portrayals of that life and a little self-effacing, but, uh, and some humor in there, maybe, you know, bordering almost on tragedy at, at times, but still, uh, I think, a fun read. Yeah, because you write about the park scene, right? Like with all the, the moms, do you want to talk about that? Like how you, did you turn yourself into a character or did you just draw on that to make a character? Um, I mean, I am, uh, I think my characters are, I mean, I, I am in my characters. There, mm -hmm. there is some of me there. But at some point, it, I do expand on that, you know, and 
and my characters in the end, you know, like the, my stay-at-home dad characters, they're composites of, of me and just my imagination and maybe some, some other people. Um, but yeah, they, they go out into the parks, you know, that's where the, the, the stay-at-home dads hang out and that's where they, they interact with other people and that's where, that's where the things, the things happen, that's where, where life happens. Do you have a person from your childhood or just from like growing up that appears in a lot of different characters in your stories? Yes. <laughs> There's like one person like, oh, like Janet was just everywhere. Yeah. Well, because I think the stories come from a number of places, you know, and, and sometimes they come from, they emerge from a character, somebody, somebody I know. So yeah, they're, I think there is a presence in a number of my stories, a kind of specter there of a person I grew up with, a, uh, a friend uh, with whom I had a, a falling out probably, you know, a number of years ago. And I don't think I can mention that person's name. I don't think I can, because in <laughs> I think it would be, be wrong of me. But, the, you know, this is a person who uh, is in politics and is sometimes on CNN and maybe Fox News and, and maybe even ran for office. Wow. You're so curious, aren't you? I'm very but, uh, curious. I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to mention his name. But, you Trump? know, so you'll see him. Uh, <laughs> that was it? <laughs> he was he was, he was a few years older, yeah. Yeah. With Donald Trump. Well, falling out, though. But that, yeah, there's a, th- that presence, you know. I think you see it a lot in the story, in the title story, Beyond the Lights. So this kind of charismatic uh, friend who's uh, adventurous, but maybe not quite truthful at times, who kind of leads the protagonist. Uh, on some kind of adventure, maybe an empty adventure, and then there's kind of a turn in the end where the protagonist kind of sees this friend for, you know, who's cruel at times, maybe sees him for who he uh, truly is. And, but once again, fiction, you know, like it's yeah, it's not it's not quite reality. It's kind of stretched, and it's it's a work of imagination. So, is this your first book you've published? Yeah, this is um, my debut collection and uh, probably started writing it about 10 years ago and just collecting these stories and uh, finally yeah found a press to publish them but um, I mean I don't want to downplay the the short story and I don't think it's an apprenticeship at all you know I think it's a powerful genre in itself and creates some beautiful art but I I am challenging myself to try to write a novel now mm-hmm. which is baffling and difficult and which I maybe might abandon and return to short stories I I don't know what's the novel about or is it yeah. top is secret it top secret it's fine no it's it, so it's um it's about Trump isn't it yeah, it's about, yeah. <laughs> your yes. best friend Trump yeah my, yeah yeah he was just a little older but he I thought he had great <laughs> hair you know and I thought he'd be a, a cool friend you know connected uh no I think the um I think the story or the novel is going to emerge from uh, kind of a number of stories I wrote about my time as a as an English teacher in an inner city Phoenix high school. So yes, I yes. I know you're from <laughs> from that area. So I taught three years in this uh, inner city high school, and it was probably of anything I've ever done apart from trying to be a good husband and a good father. I am probably most proud of my time teaching at this school. Um, 
was a charter school, just very um, kind of marginalized, at-risk students, um, and just very, very sad, um, kind of from very hard situations. But to, to do that for three years, and it was difficult. Um, so, you know, some of the stories emerge from, from that experience. So I think for the novel, I'm going to uh, take some of that experience and try to expand it and write a novel that not told from my students' point of view, because I don't, I think they, I hope that they someday will maybe tell their own stories. I, I feel I don't have the right to tell their stories, but um, have the novel from a, a number of different teachers' point of view, teachers mm-hmm. who work at this school and you know, some who are there for altruistic reasons and some who aren't. And uh, just their their experience. And I think the novels just, as many novels do, culminate in some horrific, violent act that might destroy everything in this fragile world. So maybe in 10 years, you'll see you'll see my novel. <laughs> Stay I don't know. Tuned. Another 10 years. <laughs> Stay tuned, yeah. Can I come back in 10 years Absolutely. and talk about it? The Hopefully decade. I won't be Man. here. But <laughs> well, maybe you'll, maybe you'll be teaching here. Who That's knows? true. Ooh. You never know. Doctorate in hand. I don't yeah. know. Like both Hopefully. of you both should of you. come back. Hopefully. Yeah. Unlikely. <laughs> oh. I yeah. don't want to teach. I'm sorry. You're going to, yeah. Well, you'll Just see you five wait, years Jackson. in the law. We'll see how you feel about that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We'll see. Yeah. So when did you decide you wanted to teach? Did you want to write first and then became a teacher or vice versa? No, I think I've always enjoyed teaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I... I knew I always wanted to do something um, with writing and, and literature. In fact, I think in high school I wanted to be a high school <laughs> English teacher. <Really? laughs> so I had, you know, some great teachers. Um, but, yeah, then, uh, you know, went off to BYU Provo, and I think I fancied myself a poet and probably the worst poet. I mean, looking back, just <laughs> awful, awful poetry. And I was going to take a poetry class from Leslie Norris, a Welsh poet who used to teach at BYU Provo. And I don't know if he got sick or something. So his class that I was enrolled in, um, kind of somebody canceled it. And so I got into Doug Thayer's fiction writing Mm -hmm. class. And were you, Joe, were you in... I think you... We we took his class together. Was that the one? I think that was, yeah, that was the one. Was that where you met? No, no. Okay. That's <laughs> that another story. That's a, that's a great story. I need to hear that one, too. Um, but I think, you know, that just little, that class kind of took me on another trajectory. And I remember, and I remember, yeah, like, I think I really wrote some, some awful, awful stories, you know, <laughs> that were so didactic. And, we all and, did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just, because writing in the beginning, like, you're just, it's just awful. It's just like such bad writing that comes out until finally, like, yeah. there's some decent writing. but. I think finally at the end of the semester, um, I must have been having a Hemingway moment because I wrote this story about just this couple, you know, in a piazza in in Italy where I served a mission talking about pigeons and Thayer liked it. You know, I think it was the first story I wrote that he liked and I entered it in a contest. The, uh, what was that? Uh, There's that alternative. Salt Lake Weekly. The Salt Lake, yeah, Salt Lake Weekly. And it, I think it won second place awesome and i got to go do a reading at i remember being there yeah yeah. for the awards dinner right and i think you were working for chrysalis at the time and uh brought some of your clients yeah brought some of your clients what's chrysalis wait what is what is yeah oh briefly chrysalis is a uh contractor in utah that um contracts for with the state to take care of um developmentally disabled juvenile sex offenders wow so we, we, we kept them in the back. It's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so what did you do for them? 
supervised them. Yeah. It was like a house arrest kind of thing, basically. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. You're like, hey, let's go yeah. listen to some fiction. It sounded like an art journal. Yeah. They're, not, really they're not fit, yeah, they're <laughs> not fit for, uh, for jail. Let's just put it that yeah. way. They don't belong I- in jail. IQ is yeah, below yeah. 70, I think. They don't so belong in jail. Yeah, wow. it would be yeah. an inhumane situation. Cool. Anyways, but yeah, so... So went there, yeah, and I think I won like fifty dollars, and I thought, this is so easy. I'm just gonna enter all these contests, and then of course it never is that easy. And I think, I think I remember, you know, like a couple of years later, reading something that you know, like some quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald, where he said, like, you know, so many people are ruined by success at an early age. You know, like a just one little success, and uh, thought, yeah, you know, I I gotta be careful because this this writing is difficult and and hard. And so that, that, that was the trajectory, you know, that took me, took me in a different course. And I think that, that's what made me want to study writing and Mm -hmm. eventually be a writer. I knew I could never support myself with writing, but teaching, that's what writers have to do sometimes to live their art. It's kind of, oh no, go ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of like actors, you know, they're they're really just like waiters for a little bit. It's kind of like part of the gig, and then eventually they're just full-time actors. Well, and or, or cab full, drivers or full-time yeah. waiters and yeah. uh, very attractive uh, waiters. And, beautiful uh, work. Yeah, who maybe didn't quite make it. <laughs> so sad. I just had a quick side question, just out of curiosity, because I don't know if we've ever talked about this. But what was your? I mean, that that kind of pushed you into this trajectory of writing and teaching. What was your your What were your other plans? What were your your backup plan like at that moment where you kind of saw this as a possibility what were the other possibilities if you hadn't gone that direction well i think the other possibility was i was going to go and get a phd in literature mm. and um like i was so unprepared for it you know like i don't think i'd taken my literature classes seriously and i hadn't um gone to conferences so i remember applying to a bunch of literature programs for my masters and and getting rejected. In fact, I think I, I got rejected. BYU Provo rejected me the first time for the the master's program because I, you know, I think I've just always been a, a bit of a late bloomer and uh, slow to get things and finally figuring it out. Like I can fix anything, but I'll I'll break it first. <laughs> and uh, so that's yeah. But it was always literature, writing, academia. There was never anything else on the table. Like I wanted to be a a nurse, a lawyer, I, a, yeah. a dentist. Well, <laughs> I think I've since thought about that, you know, because Joe and I were talking yesterday about, you know, blue collar dreams. You know, like if if this, you know, hadn't worked out academia, like what blue collar jobs would we have done? And, you know, I think there's something, you know. About, it's romanticized. Yeah, romanticized, <laughs> of, of course. Like what? Like what was on the table? What did we talk about? Well, but I think it's the blue collar jobs there's always, you know, like I said, well, what a, a mail carrier, because I could listen to podcasts all day as I'm That's walking true. around. Um, and then what, what did you say? What were I, a uh, sanitation worker? I just, <laughs> I just had, this, I had an uncle who was a trash, trash man in San Jose and he made great money and he was home from work at two in the afternoon every day. And I thought I could do that, but of course there are downsides. But off at uh, 
three thirty in the morning. Yeah, um, exactly. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, didn't your daughter just said the other day though, and which made me laugh really hard actually, because it seemed like it just kind of slipped out that she said, "My dad said that he want he should have been a chiropractor." Is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at popping backs. You know, I think I could have. Uh, I could have done that. Every yeah, do a uh, anyone who's listening to this do a uh, a Google search of ring dinger, and you will find some <laughs> oh, great that's, back pops. Right, it's Ooh. a very soothing sound. Well, it I is, like but that. it's kind of like a it's kind of like a gunshot going off at the oh, same time, yeah. and it just makes you kind of jump. But I mean, and this is I think we all have these moments, no matter what we're doing, where we where we stop and wonder, like the blue collar did dream. I make well or yeah or did I make the right choice you know maybe I should have like on the low moments the hard days the teaching days that just you know when you're burned out at the end of three terms and you just think I should have been a chiropractor yeah. right like, yeah. I should have been a well yeah because I think in I think the humanities are shrinking now because mm-hmm. at least when I taught at University of Southern California a lot of my Students, you know, I think they they chose very lucrative majors. They wanted to be doctors and and lawyers, and uh, you know, so I think there there aren't as many students who are majoring in the in the humanities. But yeah. you still have many many PhDs who want to teach in that field. So it's it's a saturated field and uh, slow going sometimes. I mean, I think Joe has. Stumbled on his dream, you know, to be here at a at a great school and teaching in his field. I know many PhDs in in literature and creative writing just don't don't have that. Yeah, how did you get here, Doctor Plicka? Ah, uh, I lucked out. An airplane. An airplane. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was really lucky. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's you just friend of a friend was like, hey, just applied and you know, and I right time, right place, right mm-hmm. right discipline, right because yeah. when you. When a position opens up, they're often looking for a specific area of English studies. Mm-hmm. And the, how many how many people do we hire here at BYU Hawaii in the English department? One every three years on average, yeah. I think. And that's, you know, Maybe. so, you know, am I, are you, do you just happen to be <clears throat> qualified in the exact area that in that position that only opens up every few years? I mean, yeah. it's really kind of a bizarre and cool thing. So, I, yeah, cool. I feel very lucky. But um, that's a story for another time. Yeah. We can tell podcast. you. So we can tell you how we met, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you say. No, no, go. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so we were <laughs> together. It's no, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> the story gets better every time. Uh, so we both um, went to BYU Jerusalem the the fall of 1999. Wow. And I remember I I had been. You guys were two. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. Did you think the world was going to end? Y2K? No. Yeah. There was a lot of yes. trepidation. Yeah. Really? Jerusalem, too. It seems like the place it would happen. So. Yeah. It was crazy. We wow. thought planes would just fall out of the sky. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, no, yeah. So I remember, yeah, we both went to BYU Jerusalem. And I remember I was so lonely that summer because I was at home working a construction job. Just <laughs> No, no, no romanticizing that blue collar work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember flying, you know, we, we met, we all, the, the, the cohort met up in Salt Lake and we all flew to New York and remember there was a girl I, I kind of liked and, uh, was, you know, sitting with her talking and I remember we were going to go get some food and I was going to go with this girl and suddenly there was this guy there with glasses. Hey, I want to come along. And I thought, <laughs> who is this guy? You know, budding in, and uh, I know I felt bad. It was all right, and then so then we boarded the plane for 
for Israel, and there was a little Jewish girl sitting next to me. And what? Then, then you take it away. What? And well, the way I remember it is that um, that uh, well, I thought it was the little the the sweet little Jewish girl wanted to sit where I was sitting, right? Or wanted to sit where you were sitting. Either way, she took one of our seats, and we ended up sitting next to each other. Right. I think that's oh. the way it happened. Well, because I think you she, showed the kindness. Like wanted, you, oh, you, you. <laughs> you gave up. You gave up your she seat. She wanted to so sit she, next to her she family. She could sit by her friend. Yeah. And we, right. I just remember we started this conversation, and I just, I mean, it, it just flowed for hours and hours. And I've said this before. Like it is. I, I think we've continued this conversation for the last almost twenty years. Wow. It's very wow. sweet, That's isn't beautiful. it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's lovely. <laughs> it's it is. It's fun. You know, our wives both make fun of us. They kind of, they kind of roll their eyes because <clears throat> it is kind of a rare thing to have close friendships. You know, in the midst of your child raising years, and you know, you're at home. I mean, you know, not for, especially in the Mormon culture, right? Like, family is everything, and you are you are dedicated to your family and your calling and you just don't have time for much else. And it's almost seen as kind of a frivolous and maybe even almost unrighteous thing to just be, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff instead of your family. And, you know, it's not like we see each other that much now that he's in LA and I'm here. And over these last, you know, 20, 15 years, especially it's, you know, we see each other probably just at least, you know, once a year on average. But, um, but then we have these moments of, of, of strange convergence where suddenly we're living across the street from each other for two months and it's like or, uh, you know an office down the hall yeah and you know I think Emily said to me one night as I was walking out the door where are you going um just gonna go uh she goes you gonna go see your man wife I said uh yes I'm sorry I just wanted to ask him a question yeah no it's she's she's good humored about it but uh yeah you know it's you need um what's the Italian word you told me consigliere. Oh, consigliere. Consigliere, yeah. whatever that means. Counselor. counselor yeah. yeah. Wow. You need a counselor hmm. who is your spouse, right? But sometimes your spouse just doesn't want to hear it. They just don't want to talk well, about I, it. And sometimes you need to adults. talk about your spouse. Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> In very respectful and loving ways. Yes, yeah. always. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, every for for Joe's birthday, you know, I try to write something nice on on Facebook every every year. I appreciate that. Remember last yeah last time, um, I remember yeah somebody had left a comment. Somebody I went to high school with. I don't even remember, but he said, you know, I I love when a man talks about another man like this. And I don't think it was facetious. I don't think it was you know he was being snarky. But you know I think uh, you know maybe sometimes in our culture we're suspect of these male relationships uh the bromance maybe is yeah. is what it's called oh, i haven't um, forwarded you that video yet yeah. actually carly there's a song yeah. oh there's a bromance song yeah it's pretty it's funny a good one. Yeah. it was yeah <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so but um so creative writing yeah, yeah so, <laughs> wow it all stemmed from writing. that huh well you know there's a camaraderie among writers that mm. is also kind of a i think a goes with the territory i mean there's this it's almost a guild atmosphere, right? Like, um, and it's like that in every profession. But um, there's a mindset, you know, and there's a there's a language, there's a culture, there are shared goals, there are. So it's not only you know our our brotherhood. We actually grew up. Well, I don't know if I was in Davis at the time, but we, you know we actually spent our childhood in similar areas, about 15 minutes from each other. Didn't really know it. 
I was in Davis, he was in Vacaville, both in Northern California, really close to each other. So we have this, you know, very, I think, similar trajectory in our lives. Western, West Coasters, um, you know, adventurous, a uh, little bit artistically inclined, dreamers, impractical, probably, yeah. disorganized. You guys are both wearing snapbacks right now, backwards yeah. facing. Oh, how yep. did, did I do even that? have like some of the same man- oh, mannerisms? Yeah. That was a, yeah, this, I'm just waiting that. for that to blow up yeah. this year. It's. My oh. kids are very excited about it, actually. Yeah. Dad, are you growing your mustache back? Wife, not excited. Yeah. <laughs> but, Both. you know, I think, we, yeah, we, I mean, we have diff- the same I think, kind of intellectual interests. And, of course, writing. But, you know, I think we have to, maybe we just, we just have so much fun together. We actually have to, like, remind ourselves, like, let's, let's write something and mm. um, share it with each other. Yeah. Uh, so. That always happens with Dr. Plicka and I. (laughs) It's like, we got to write, and then we just end up talking for two hours. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's like, but I think that's actually an integral part of the writing process is that, is that, that shared mind, you know, and uh, yeah, I I flew actually a couple years ago, I flew to California to work on this magazine, which we should plug for just a second here. It's, oh, we're we're dads and we're husbands and it's so (laughs) slow going, but we've, we're starting a, uh, a semi-annual journal called Franchise Magazine based on the idea that Ryan had actually four years ago now. It's been, can't believe it's been so long, to do a 30th anniversary tribute to the Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid movie. I've mentioned this to yeah, you guys yeah. before. And because um, Ryan wrote some uh, amazing kind of um, literary fan fiction based on uh, Daniel LaRusso and that, st- that epic story that kind of defined in some ways our childhoods and many others of, of our generation and uh and he thought you know this is great we should we should do something else with this so he put out a call and i co-edited it with him and we got a bunch of, of pieces that ranged from criticism like cinematic criticism to poetry and essays and stories put it together shopped it around couldn't couldn't find a good bite for it as far as anyone who wanted to publish it as a a book but um but we went to we want to turn it into this journal called Franchise that does this with other mm-hmm. franchises. And I'm thinking like McDonald's could be an issue, Mario Brothers. I mean, not just just pop yeah. culture franchises, because it's I think it's a very, very uh, kind of marketable, but not so much marketable, but at least kind of um, very, a, you know, of this age of, of our current culture, um, appropriate genre of mixing the high and the low, mixing the highbrow with the lowbrow, um, talking about these nostalgic franchises in ways that uh, make people laugh and think in, in ways that they haven't uh, before. Um, anyways, so Franchise Magazine coming out this fall. I'm just going to yes, yes. hope. The first issue is about Karate Kid? Karate Kid, yeah. This have you guys the seen next the, uh, big thing. the reboots? We had, we oh, watched yeah. it. The YouTube just, stuff? Oh, yes. We watched Fantastic. it together, actually, just because he was here. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. I say like yeah. this is the perfect time to do it. Like it really they have is. This. You could, I don't know, get in contact with some of them. Like, I think that I think we should. Like, actually. also, there's this magazine uh, forward by. Well, Joe wrote the forward, but uh, maybe Ralph Macchio can uh, get him to sign yes. off on it. Yeah. No, seriously, I think there's a I think there's an appetite for it. But so the what I was going with was I flew out two years ago to work on this with him, as part of my professional development, and uh, ended up in a like a double tree in in Burbank was that it was maybe it was a Marriott or something or anyways and uh we got a lot of work done actually but um but Ryan would come over and we'd just hang out in my hotel room all day 
eating uh, Reese's Pieces and uh, what, what drinking mate. Yeah. Goyaki. <laughs> Goyaki. Mate. Um, How do you spell that? G U A Y A K I. Goyaki. I think that's mate. how you say it. Mate. And then M A T E. Yeah, or it's the uh, Goyaki organic brand Yerba Mate. The Enlightenment flavor is the one that's in my hand at this very that's moment. A, it's a good place to start if you want to enter the mate world. You could go. You could do much worse. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was it was hard to get work done because we were we were just having such a good time, uh, and so working and playing kind of become one and the same thing. And again, in our in our somewhat Protestant American independent puritanical culture, I mean that's where we come from. We come from Puritans. We come from Protestants. We come from these grim, hardworking frontiers people who kind of expanded west and trampled the Indians. Let's not forget that. And uh, yeah, but you know, created this this nation. I think that there is a guilt that you feel when you are having fun working. It's like we're not supposed to feel that way. So I feel guilty every time I uh, do this podcast for that same reason. Exactly. But we are getting paid. So deep seated. It should. Yeah, yeah. It should be painful, right? You should be. <laughs> You don't get people don't pay you to feel to have fun. They pay yeah. you to to bleed, to sweat. Right. That's yeah. why I uh, I go to the gym because I need to have calluses for something. You know, like yeah. when I shake somebody's hand, like it needs to be rough. If it's soft, <laughs> it's like you don't work. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. You just bubble pencil pusher. Like. <laughs> I have a lot. Believe me. I, yeah. yeah. But we have. Um, I mean, we we have our fun, but we also work out three three days a week. <laughs> Wow. But that's all that's negated. That's a lot of times a week. Yeah. 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 Three times a week. But we, I think it's all negated by how much we eat together <laughs> and and all the beverages we drink. But uh, not the mate. That's yeah, pure. The mate is pure. The mate. Just a little bit of cane. Weight, uh, just a little bit yeah. of organic cane sugar in here. That's basically how many, and a little bit of honey. Yeah. 14 grams of sugar per serving, which is wow. certainly that's not like, as much as soda. It's but like a quarter, a third, or a quarter of what a can of soda has. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just mm. a light, yeah. very sweetness there. Very light. So the book. The book. Know. Oh, yes. Why, why are oh. we? Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite story out of this, if you have one? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's so, you know, because I'm trying to think, you know, what, what kind of artist do I want to be, like, in terms of, like, tone and subject matter. And, and I, I tried to explain this the other day. I don't know if it, how to articulate it, but. I want to be like the Beatles in a way because mm-hmm. you, I mean, think of the um, kind of the creative spectrum, the, the the tonal spectrum of the Beatles where you can have songs that are so soft that almost make you cry and then other songs that are so rambunctious and fast. Um, so, you know, I think in my collection, I've tried to have had to have that tonal range where you know some of the stories or you know my my stay-at-home dad stories I think are a little funny you know maybe get a little a little laugh out of uh, out of my reader and then other stories you know probably yeah the few that deal more with my my time as a teacher I mean I I I almost feel sad I almost feel tearful when I kind of return to them. So, I mean, I think if my readers want something a little more funny, you know, start with the, the stay-at-home dad, uh, journal of a stay-at-home dad, the letter to Daniel LaRusso, and then, you know, maybe, um, 
know, kind of on the other end, like our students or this same darkness, I think is that kind of a, a darker, darker tone. Um, and then, you know, I think then, you know, there's, uh, I guess we haven't talked about this yet, but the, some of the, the Mormon stories, you know, they're mm-hmm. not, uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like in a, in a way, maybe I've become a de facto Mormon writer. I don't think I personally identify with that or have set out to, to do that. But at some point I realize, you know, I am a, a member of this community, this Mormon community, and I know a lot about it. And, um, so I began writing stories in, in that vein, and, and I think I started writing them maybe, I, I don't know if it was a, a selfish reason, but when Mitt Romney ran for president. Is I think, that your friend? Your other <laughs> friend, <laughs> Mitt Romney. That is, yeah, Mitt was, he was, he was a bad too. dude. No, when we were in prep school together. When you called him Mittens. Mittens. Yeah, yeah. he didn't um, like it. You know, no, maybe the uh, when, when the tape is turned off, I. I do know a Mitt Romney story, but it's for another time. <laughs> but I think I suddenly realized, like I'd written these, uh, you know, a few more, m- Mormon stories, stories with Mormon characters. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, maybe people started talking about a, a Mormon moment. And I think there was a curiosity about Mormons and Mormon culture. And I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send these out. And uh, I think there, there was an interest in them. People wanted to, to publish those because I think they wanted that glimpse inside this, this Mormon community and, and who we are. There was a kind of mystery surrounding it. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's still a general interest in, in Mormons and, and hearing about their, their inner lives and their kind of inner struggles. Comment, Joe, on <laughs> Mormon Back literature? Scoot, scoot. Uh, it's a, I'm, just, I'm a wingman. No, I, well, so Ryan read these two stories at his reading um, that were both flavored, you know, of, with this uh, idea of, of, um, of Mormon culture and, and ideas. But, you know, again, it's, we, I think we in the church, I'm not going to go into, this could be a huge discussion in and of itself, and it's been rehashed many times, but we get uncomfortable with it a little bit because, uh, we look in the mirror and we see ourselves like in a funhouse mirror and think that's kind of who we are, but not really, right? And no one story, no one writer, uh, no one language can represent everything about who we are. And so our defense against that is that we create like a very, in some ways, kind of whitewashed and, and uniform and very controlled narrative about who we are. And and, and that can be good for proselyting. Um, but it, uh, I think in the end, if you take it too far, it backfires. And so um, so, uh, you know, with Ryan's work, he's managed to, I think, write in, from a place that is um, representative of who he is, which is some, a man of faith, a man of belief, a man who strives to understand and seeks truth, um, but who very much lives in the real world as a, as a flawed individual and as someone who is always striving to understand and to, and to do what is right. Um, and that oftentimes entails choices and nobody makes the right choice every single time. So his characters don't always make the right choices. And, you know, if readers are mature, I think, and approach the, you know, art from that perspective of, hey, this isn't, this isn't a representation necessarily of who we all are, but this is a slice of, of our, um, like he says, our inner life. Um, I mean, heaven forbid we would read 
Chaim Potok and think that we know everything there is to know about Jewish people and about about that culture. You know, you just have to trust that people aren't going to make that kind of ignorant assumption. Some people will, right? Some people will say, well, I read a book, so now I know everything about you. Um, uh, anyways, I'm drifting off a little bit. With, with Ryan's work, he read these two stories, um, one about a Mormon bishop who gets visited by the Savior uh, before sacrament meeting. And it's very funny. I think it would be surprising to a few people because they think, well, you're dramatizing the Savior in a work of fiction. But it's very obvious that this is a parody and that this is kind of a, making a comment. Um, I don't find it disrespectful at all. And, uh, and the other one, oh, shoot, I forgot what the other one was. The that other you read. one was, oh, the Brigham Kimball oh, Mormon, Mormon Missionary, missionary. Yeah. Extraordinaire. Yeah, funny. which, again, a very, I think, good-hearted, but also kind of funny send-up of kind of our quirkiness as Mormons, like the things that, that I think that sound familiar to most of us who have grown up in the culture, but to someone reading on the outside, sees us not just as flawed individuals, but as humans and thinks to themselves, oh, these Mormons are real people with real sincere feelings. Uh, they're tender, they're, they're vulnerable, they're, they're, good, they're good-natured, and they're and, you know, also vindictive, and all these things that, that you know, they're just like me. And that's, I think, what we need more than anything else is for people to know that we're just like them, except with this additional perspective that, you know, that we hope is valuable and these, this additional doc- doctrines and truths that we would like to share, but that in the end, we're not going to make any friends unless people see us as, as human as they are. And so that's, that's kind of a soapbox. But, you know, the humanizing power of narrative art, in particular fiction, I think, is, is what it's all about. And You're like so. de, de-whitewashing. Yeah. The- the persona. Yeah. And that sounds like a euphemism, right? In some ways, like we're de-whitewashing it. What is that? We're muddying, tainting, you know, filthifying it. But I don't see it that way Giving at all. it nuance. Well, nuance, right. It's, there's a bit of a paradox. You know, I think as Mormons, we're very comfortable with scriptural representations of flawed individuals. I mean, how many flawed individuals do you, yeah, do you see in the Bible and in the, in the Book of Mormon? And we're, we're fine with that. And because... There is something to to learn from those, but I think we're not comfortable with those in in literature because, yeah, it's a representation of ourselves that we don't at times don't want to confront. Um, you know, I I know my my mother-in-law. I remember kind of reading these stories to her, and um, my you know this Brigham Kimball of you know this this Mormon missionary, and I remember her distinctly saying like, "Well, my my sons." They didn't act like that, you know. And I think the first thing that a missionary learns is that missionaries are are not are not perfect, um, you know. So I think what and I think fiction in general does this, you know. Fiction isn't meant to so much provide knowledge; um, it is to provide an experience, and um, you know that's what I want to provide my readers and. An experience that leads to some kind of understanding about about who we are and how we can be better. I, I think if there is maybe you know a theme running through my Mormon stories, and it's you know it's something I really at times don't like about our culture is just orthodoxy. You know, and and I see that in myself. You know, as I said before, you know, my I am in my characters. You know, but they're also a composite of you know all these people I know, but. An orthodoxy that uh, is so kind of single has a single vision and is um, so so focused um, on 
rules that it can exclude people, you know, and we get away from, you know, those two great commandments of, you know, loving God and our neighbors. And we, we don't do that at times to kind of maintain these, these rules and these, all, all these, all these things that we, we have to have to follow. So I think that's where, yeah, those stories are kind of emerging from that kind of critique. I feel like I've noticed a general trend in the church that people, it's, I don't know how to phrase this besides it's getting more rhizomatic. It's getting more like ground up, like, uh, the way that they've restructured a lot of the teaching, it's not so much like top down. It's people like it's more discussion based. Like if you personally think that just go for it, you know, say it in class, it's way more open. I don't know. It's interesting. It's all part of it. Definitely. I mean, definitely the church is evolving. Which is great. I mean, I think some people would point to that and and see some something weak or something unstable. I think that that is, and there's no other way. The whole idea of Mormonism is based on the idea that that we are always incomplete. Our knowledge, our understanding, is you know who are, we ourselves are always incomplete. Joseph Smith goes into the grove feeling like there's got to be something more, and like more than he could have even imagined. But somehow, you know, we as modern Mormons start to kind of think, well, that was then, this is now, and now we've, we've received, and now we must protect and, and kind of enclose ourselves. And there is certainly something to be said about maintaining an identity and maintaining an order. Um, and the church is very good at that, very good at, the modern church is very good at maintaining an order and an identity. But, um, but also, if we take that first experience that Joseph Smith had as kind of a type, we, I think we were led to the conclusion that there's always going to be another first vision. There's always going to be another discovery and that um, being humble enough to understand that we don't really know much at all, um, that what we do know is always provisional. And uh, I can already, I can already hear myself say that and hear other people (laughs) getting mad at me about it, right? That's always provisional kind of knowledge. Well, yes, we can know some things. Yeah, we can. We absolutely can know some things. But even those things that we know can be overturned, just like just like has happened um, over and over throughout history and throughout the, the history of the church. Even we we tend to forget that uh, that the things that people thought doctrines even that they thought would last forever changed. You know, were overturned and stopped. And so it's the humility. I think the humility. And fiction it kind of forces us into that humility, and, and I think that's the reason why some people find it a little bit un, unenchanting and even a little dangerous. I've always joked that fictional narrative, because of its freedom to kind of go inside people's heads and make those kinds of assumptions and imagine those things um, and, uh, and dramatize people's um, personalities in those ways, um, is kind of, it's a, it's a kind of, subversive and dusty, earthy medium. And in the Mormon theology, I think fiction is the terrestrial kingdom. <laughs> Essays, nonfiction are the telestial kingdom. They're concerned with this world and things that we kind of know. Um, this is a very loose equation. But, and then poetry is celestial. Poetry is, you know, it's all, it's all about elevated language and kind of abstract concepts, and you can really hide a lot in those poems. But if you're writing good stories and you're writing good fiction, it's all out there on the table, like the blood, the guts. The, the dust, as well as the diamonds and the valuable things as well. Uh, there's no hiding, so. 
more soapbox for you there. I love, I love your soapbox, but I, I just saw that uh, missionary couple peek in, and uh, when you were talking, and oh. I think they're yeah, they're running waiting. off to tell somebody. <laughs> oh no, that's I'm gonna hear about it. Well, this is going on the internet, so <laughs> woohoo! Be prepared. <laughs> no, I like that you take fiction and you question things, or not even question things, but look at it from a different way, because it's almost like no consequence. It's just art. It's not like you're saying it in a in a talk, or at least I don't think you have, but. I'm well, sure that's fine. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's about empathy, really. And yeah. and I also, you know, just to be the other side of things, I would say um, it's not that there's no risk to art. There's no not that there's no risk to narrative and to exposing yourself. I mean, there's it doesn't matter what it is. You know, that you are exposing yourself to risk as soon as you pick up a book or as soon as you, um, you know, go to an art museum or you know, you're exposing yourself to something. And we don't always know how that's going to turn out. I mean, there are books like Richard Bushman's biography of Joseph Smith, which was commissioned by the church, by President Hinckley, mm -hmm. um, to kind of present this new, more complete and more modern kind of historical narrative of who Joseph Smith really was, the prophet, the man, you know, all those things, um, rough stone rolling. And he came and talked the other day. I mean, this is all, you know, this book is not under under wraps. It's not something, I mean, it's not anything that the church is trying to hide or, or denounce or anything, and yet there are people who read that book who up and leave the church. And Richard That's Bushman true. even said, he said he had a woman come up to him very angry and said, my son started reading your book when he got on a plane, and by the time he got off the plane, he was no longer Mormon. Wow. I mean, that's there are risks involved. That's and true. so to say that there's absolutely no risk in reading and writing you know, this kind of stuff would be, I think, false. But just to say that, isn't that why we're here on earth, is to take risks and uh, to kind of figure out what's going on and yeah I mean I think fiction uh, at least the kind of fiction I'm trying to write shows how imperfect things can be beautiful things in fact there's oh, which story is it um, uh, great heights you know so great heights that you know that the protagonist is this uh, you know kind of a very buttoned up I don't want to use the word Peter Priesthood type but you but know, you just that, did. But I just did. But, <laughs> but he's that type, you know, and he uh, kind of is forced. Uh, he forced to see himself as this uh, not not righteous, but flawed in that he has put himself up on a up on a pedestal and kind of looked down on people. And the consequence of that, he realizes, is this abject loneliness. You know that because he's done this, he realizes he's always been alone because he's isolated himself from from people so you know as he journeys in this in this story he meets some a woman who is you know has a you know a a physical defect you know she is uh she is not perfect and he and he is the type who he wants he wants a perfect wife he you know feels that he he deserves that so the realization in the end let me yeah let me just uh, like the last I mean, this is kind of how I feel as a as a Mormon writer. Like, this is how, um, you know, this is how I want you know my readers to perceive the world. This is how I perceive the world. So, um, so it, let me read the last paragraph of just this this story. It says, um, "So outside, the wind had had picked up, and somewhere in the distance, Norman heard chimes ringing, a dreaming melody that seemed to emanate from the earth itself." Sitting beside Maggie, who seemed so beautiful, Norman understood that everything, if examined closely enough, is beautiful. Norman closed his eyes, 
my life's going to change, he thought. So, you know, yeah, we, you know, in, in fiction, we, I think literary fiction, we write about imperfect creatures. Um, and I think we come to see those imperfect creatures as beautiful. And all of us are imperfect and all of us are, are beautiful and all of us are, I think, struggling and working toward perfection on becoming something, something greater. Something like Mate. Mate. Something <laughs> that is perfect. Yeah. Like Guayaki Yerba Mate. And as I, we've said, we've tried to figure out this formula and it is so perfect. We, we cannot. I mean, we, Joe has brewed some mate, which I think is of itself very good. It's very good. But it, is, it doesn't reach the same level of the Guyaki enlightenment. Uh, is it the ratios that you haven't figured out, like ingredients? Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, this is just, this is, <laughs> this is science and art. You know, I mean, this yeah. is who, I don't know. I actually think that if we were the kind of people who had a lot of, uh, leisure time and income we would fly to brazil we would find the person who created this <laughs> recipe and uh we would shake his hand you know and have a conversation that's how strongly we feel yeah. about it i mean i have oh. even looked online to see if somebody has stolen the recipe and <laughs> published it but i'll look on pinterest, <laughs> I'll look on pinterest. Sometimes. pinterest. Sometimes. that sounds like an interesting place yeah, yeah it is crazy like recipes that are actually like uh, like Cafe Rio, like you can mm. make the Cafe yeah. Rio pork or whatever. Well, so. my, my brother-in-law makes a b almost indistinguishable Wendy's Frosty, like with oh, just with really? Nestle, yeah, with just with vanilla ice cream, milk, and Nestle Quick. You can wow. create um, almost spitting image, right? But this there is just go. too complex. I mean, yeah. look at all the ingredients in here. You know, the you need a lab. Yeah. Of some sort. Well, and our palates, I think, are so in tune to the flavors that they need this fix these ratios that I mean if there were a milligram more of yeah. honey in it then right. we we would yeah, like you know. might be able to fool Carly and I yeah sure but not right. you guys. <laughs> yeah. the connoisseurs yeah, no. of mate. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine some guy in a lab coat and like goggles with a pipette you know and he's just <laughs> he's just putting you know milligrams of yeah. whatever in there and he drops in one extra milligram we throw it out throw no it Joe out. and no. Joe and Ryan will they'll know we can't <laughs> we can't <laughs> Yep. Well, what's next for you? What is next? Well, I mentioned the novel. Hopefully the novel is next. But I, I really want to, you know, hopefully get a tenure track position somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a great experience to be at BYU Hawaii. Thank you, Joe, for having me here uh, to have this teaching experience. Um, and I think the book will help. And just keep keep applying. And if... If I don't get a job, if I'm still stay-at-home dad, I will. I vow to be back in five years. All right, <laughs> and we will have you back. Dude. Right, yeah. but it's almost a good incentive, you know, because I now I have five years to build myself up even more. I hope, and uh, you know, maybe 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 get that novel, and uh, you know, return with with something something more to give. With honor. With yeah. honor. With honor. Well, where can people learn more about your book? You're writing. Keep up with what you're doing. So um, you uh, you can purchase a book on Amazon, and beyond you, the lights, beyond the lights Shoemaker. for fifteen dollars, and you can go there and read the one review that my father wrote. <laughs> Bless his heart, but uh, you know he 
he didn't try to hide any family relationships. He's, <laughs> you know, this is uh, my son wrote this book, and I'm proud of him. I'm not too proud of the language at times, but uh, he's he's a good writer. So I, I appreciate so <laughs> five, stars. Five, five stars. Five stars. <laughs> he did give me five stars. Uh, so I um, so you can purchase the book there, and then you know I think if. You want some other writings, you can Google, you know, Ryan Shoemaker, fiction or writer, and there's some other stories that are up there. And I have a, a website that needs to be updated. So, And at some point, Franchise Magazine. Yes. Look for it in the fall. Yeah. The fall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's going down. That will give us the incentive <laughs> to, yeah. to get Podcast it out there. Podcast part two, exactly. Franchise. You can fly out for it. Oh, we can yeah. Do you have funding party. for that, by we the way? We don't. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. do like Skype stuff though. Yeah. You could oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Well, and once uh, Guayaki decides to sponsor the show, yes. there could be some more incentive there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be leaving my review shortly. I think uh, I just need to. Get on there. Yeah, and there should be other reviews <laughs> popping up. I think Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, will have one. I tried to get Joe to do it, but. Um, I think everyone realized at a dialogue that we're too close of friends, and I think we should have kept that a little, a little quiet. I, I don't know. But yeah. Well, I mean, your dad already left a review, so it's kind of too late. You know, might as well buffer it. <laughs> yeah, right. I well, that's thank you, Dad, but we might need to bury that review a little <laughs> under some uh, some other reviews. I don't know, Doctor Shoemaker. <laughs> yeah, certainly did not Great raise book. him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and letting us chat with you. So, yeah, thank you for having me. And you know, and you two, just the the short time we've met. You know, I'm very very impressed. And you're doing something fantastic here in the the world of ideas and thoughts. And um, you know, and this podcast where you know you have very um, kind of very academic discussions, but then other fun dis- other fun discussions about polar bears and gorillas and uh, it's grizzly bears. Grizzly bears. Yeah. Gri- oh, grizzly yeah. bears. Oh, and uh, you know, th- thank you so much. And I have no doubt that uh, I will see your names in, in lights one of these days somewhere. All right. Well, thank thanks. You. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. This was the Zeno Podcast. You can stay updated by following our Facebook and Instagram pages at Zeno Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by BYU Hawaii's Reading Writing Center. You can also find us on YouTube or iTunes or by searching Xeno Podcast. That's X-E-N-O Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcastzeno at gmail.com. Thanks for learning by listening.